Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most bibliophilic work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Urban Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Possession 15.6. Yeah. Um, so, we're, we're inside uh, <laughs> Rose's head for the whole first half of this chapter. Um, and uh, we see a continuation of last chapter where Mrs. Lewis appeared. Uh, Mrs. Lewis starts to start uh, starts to summon something, presumably a demon, and Rose just shoots her. And uh, <laughs> that's that. Problem solved. Book over. Yeah, man. Arc 15. You know, we got rid of Faisal. He's gone forever. Yep. Uh, Miss Lewis is now dead. Uh, the barber is totally 100% stuck in the abyss, never coming back. Yep. Uh, Conquest is a big faker that Blake almost pushes out. Like, oh. I mean, it just must. Arc sixteen must just be a big long epilogue. Yeah, arc sixteen is them just hanging around and chilling out, finally getting to do all the things they didn't get to do because they were too busy. All that good stuff. Building building a version of Johannes's domain that's like that's morally yeah. morally good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Mrs. Lewis uh, gets gets back up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's kind of and and we start talking about the idea of of running out of bullets which is the kind of ticking clock for the first you know 75% of this chapter um basically it's it it they just keep shooting mrs lewis every time she starts to get up <laughs> um and it feels like this variant of like a zombie movie you know where the, the group is kind of trapped in a mall and they're slowly running out of bullets to shoot the zombie horde and eventually you know that zombies are going to break through and everyone's going to die but in this case the zombie's just one person who won't die um, and they only have like four bullets <laughs> You're right. It it's just a fun twist on on the countdown premise because we've got a limited number of bullets and we've got a woman that we keep having to shoot in the face. Yep. Um, every couple of minutes. Um, and and it's like it's a very discreet timer. You know, like it's every there's sort of a fair bit of breathing room between rounds of of shooting Miss Lewis. Uh, so like I, I find that like yeah, it's just a fun kind of implementation of, of like a, a very common mechanic you know mm. something this story is used a lot itself like a, a sort of timer yeah um, um and, and it sets up that they have you know some time to figure something out and then i think the first time that nick shoots mrs lewis he holds up that he only has two bullets left and you're like yeah. oh shit we really don't have any time <laughs> um yeah and i mean especially because so, something that comes up like is a bit of a through line in this chapter like rose makes a comment at the start about how uh, a rule of thumb for a lot of the uh, more dangerous practices is always keep a spare bullet. Um, <laughs> and obviously she decides not to do that this time. And Miss Lewis at the end is just sort of like, oh, I'm so sorry. I wish I wish you had. Um, like I think that that's half the fun of Miss Lewis is she, she kind of seems like she genuinely doesn't want, want to be, you, you know what I mean? Like every time she's yeah. actually interacted with Blake, there's been a lot of like, oh, you know, I'm honestly rooting for you or, you know, I, you know, I really do hope things work out for you and stuff. Like she doesn't, she doesn't seem to be malicious, but she also doesn't hesitate at all for a second to just fucking swarm them with moats later on. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I think that's a, just a really fun dynamic that she has. It's kind of unique is that she, she genuinely does seem to like Blake and Rose and doesn't want things to go badly for them. She just kind of keeps ending up in positions where she, well, now she's ended up in a position where she has to. Well, yeah. I mean, the role that she plays in as part of the lawyers is, yeah, I mean, I'm here. I have to, you know, kill you guys or torture yeah. you guys. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming she doesn't want to have to be doing that. Yeah, it's just interesting. Like, because it doesn't... Like, I don't think she's, like, a, a, a good person. Um, 
I doubt she would have ended up in her position if if she was. Yes. <laughs> um, but she seems to kind of genuinely like Blake and Rose, like just on a personal level. It's not, it's not that she's against the lawyers. She just is kind of like, you know, you two are all right. Like, it's a real shame that I keep having to be like Fuck against you. Fuck you over, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I also love the bit, uh, like jumping ahead, where she starts to explain why she's not dying. And it's just because employment with the lawyers is so deeply entrenched that it supersedes death yep um which is you know again just reinforcing like how fucking powerful the lawyers feel uh yeah i mean miss lewis also seems to kind of enjoy the agony the, the way she describes the agony of being shot kind of gave me the impression like it's a bit of that <laughs> on we stuff where it's like you know it, it she, she's so immortal and so desensitized to everything yeah. being shot is just like it's it's a feeling and that's a bit of a kick for her (laughs) exactly it's good to feel something you know yeah 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 um so that's what being with the lawyers is like it's so miserable that you're like oh fuck yes i got shot in the chest awesome at least something happened (laughs) exactly um so rose starts uh starts the gears turning to try and think of a solution and the first thing she thinks about is how basically up until this point everything she's been doing has been buying time for this specific confrontation um, and I want to pull out one of the one of the things she says. She thinks she'd used the barber to stall future attacks, which I just thought was interesting wording. And I wanted to pull out to see if you had any thoughts on what this meant. Um, like, yeah, I, I'm interested <laughs> to hear your thoughts. Yeah, well, I mean, like, my thinking was that she meant that uh, she that she was referring to the dead dead man switch thing yeah. that she set up like in that that was leveraging barbatorum not necessarily using him um but e- yeah i mean it, it's interesting when you do focus in on this line like it's easy to to get get the gears turning and start to think like did she barber someone <laughs> um you know did what did, what did she do with him before um locking him back up or whatever because obviously like yeah it, it it was presumably under the pretense of sort of pretending to be a diabolist for the lawyers is kind mm. of the vibe she gives off here yeah so like what might she actually have wanted to use him for in that instance and like and surely she didn't actually use barbatorum right like that's the the story has made it very clear that's a big no-no yeah that's a mistake <laughs> <laughs> um so I, i'm i'm optimistically hoping that she did just mean using him as leverage for the dead man switch fair enough fair enough um, but yeah i mean what's interesting here i think is like you know rose goes over how she, she's been kind of expecting something like this or she's been pl- trying to plan for the contingency of if they end up against the lawyers yeah and, and so it's like oh i've been buying time and, and stuff but i mean as as peter points out later I, I'm yet to see any fruits of that labor. Right? Yes, like it still it still feels uh, very Im- impossible. This fight, like you know, the, the whole setup for this first half of the chapter is really that Rose can't win too much because then the lawyers will just send the actual people yeah. in to, to fight. Yeah, uh, but she also can't lose, so it, it, she really is just kind of standing around stalling for time, trying to think of something to do. Yeah, and the thing I like about it is, um, you're right. It feels like she hasn't got any. Uh, any actual <laughs> solutions from all the time that she's bought herself. She's still got to things that can stall, but nothing that can actually win. Um, and also she like can't fair, do anything like, that could like, win. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it, like, it, it's fair because like, it doesn't really seem like the words are going to be easy to beat. You know, I'm not going to yeah. blame her for not coming up with anything, but uh, she, 
Yeah, I, like, yeah, I don't know. It, it's interesting just sort of framing this. You know, we've talked so much about how Rose is the long-term planner and Blake is the, you know, dive in head first um half of the pair but like i'm wondering if like maybe like rose's framing is a bit more nuanced and she's the time buyer like i can sort of think back to quite a few other instances where she didn't have plans that would solve the problem she had plans that would buy them more time to Mm. solve the problem and and just the way rose and blake kind of complement each other in that way where blake given enough time usually seems to come up with solutions and and rose helps buy the time to have those solutions yeah you can you can see like with that dynamic why blake was the one not in the mirrors at the start for example yeah true that makes sense um so yeah we're in rose's perspective for this part of the chapter and it's it feels so different to the way Blake's been thinking. Like, Rose yeah. is actually, like, jumping through possible plans, bringing things up, thinking about the ramifications of them, discarding ideas, moving through ideas, kind of trying them in her head, whereas Blake will actually need to try things out physically to explore them. Um, yeah, it's just a... You can really feel the difference between the two of them. Yeah, basically, the difference is she actually thinks about plans before doing them. Yeah, wild. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it definitely, like... I, you know, it it was a much easier perspective for me to grasp, like, just, just watching her list off uh, all of, like, her ideas. I mean, it, like, in some ways, like, like, this feels a bit cheap to sort of say this, but, like, it, it took me back to reading Worm all those years ago, the way Taylor would sort of start to think like this. Like, Rose is yeah. very much that, that analytical mind. Um, and it was, it's, it's, it's a bit more relatable to me, but you could sort of see how she, um, well, she has that moment where she's just like, yes, Ellie is expendable. <laughs> And it was yeah. Like, oh, what the fuck, Rose? Like, come on. I was, I was just saying how in line I was with your thinking, and then you go and throw something like that in. <laughs> um, and I mean, that was also the bit that made me realize we hadn't heard from Blake yes. this whole chapter. Like, I, I, I guess I just hadn't noticed that he hadn't even been chiming in with his like, uh, you know, uh, emphasized italic thoughts. But yeah. Sort of seeing, oh, Ellie is expendable, and then nothing from Blake. I was like, wait, where the fuck is Blake? Yeah. Um, we'll find out in a little bit, but we actually don't <laughs> yeah. see him for quite a while. Mm. Um, so Rose starts, you know, commanding her chess pieces. Um, the main thing is most of the group uh, is following Alistair's directions to start warding against these uh, demons that will most likely be coming quite soon. Um, Ellie is sent to fetch help in the form of the witch hunters, um, and <laughs> the knights continue to shoot Mrs. Lewis every time she sits up. <laughs> Uh, there's no green eyes and Evan instructions though. Um, like I just, I just think that's something that totally adds up, especially yeah. by the end of the chapter, the way that she just kind of says, um, do, do your thing. Uh, you know, cause they're Blake's, they're not, they're not hers, right? She yeah. doesn't really know how to, how to interact with them. Well, yeah. I wonder if it's that she doesn't have something for them to do or she thinks they won't follow her orders. I think it's interesting to think about why it- she doesn't give them a command. It's it's packed. It's all yeah, it's, true. It's, it's all, all true. Of them. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you mentioned this before, but I really do like the setup where they can't actually win here because if they start to look like they're going to win, things just get way worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it just turns into this situation of like, even if Rose does have a plan, she can't do it. And also, nobody else can suggest plans because if any plan seems too reasonable, there's a chance that it will th- just get worse for them. Yeah, and, and like, and that's really the sort of the sense that carries this this chapter. Like, there's a bit of a sense of defeat to this chapter, and this is kind of what holds it: is that they they're not defeated, but they're being ground down by the lawyers because 
yeah, like as we've said, they they can't be allowed to look like they're going to win, or yep. things will get way worse. And they're a very long way from having a plan that will win win. Uh, so it's just kind of like you're just sort of following it, and you're like, what, what, like what are we doing? Like this, this is so immensely fucked um, yep. in a way that you know there hasn't even been impact before, which is really saying something. <laughs> True, it's um, fucked on a more cosmic scale than has existed before yeah yeah exactly um so yes rose basically decides that she hasn't got anything she she can't come up with anything that will help in this situation and so with a sigh she calls out to Faisal, asking for his help with dealing with demons and there is no response well which it turns out is is a good thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah as we'll see later i suppose um i rose kind of thinks about this and and compares the situation that her and Mrs. Lewis are in, where uh, Rose has the time to ask for help, but has nobody that she can ask for help that will listen. And Mrs. Lewis doesn't have the time to ask for help. And when she does, you know, it's over. It's it's this interesting contrast of, again, diabolists and, and practitioners to a wider scale are just kind of weak beings that surround themselves with things that they can ask for help. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's it's an interesting little point because I mean, obviously, Miss Lewis isn't nothing, or she'd already be dead. Yes. Um, but you know, I suppose this group isn't isn't nothing either. But yeah, it, yeah, it, it did. It also reminded me of uh that conversation uh Jeremy and Blake had where they sort of compared Diabolus and priests. Yeah. And it was all you know what price are you willing to pay to call yeah. in your help? Um, and. Uh, yeah, as you said, in a way, that's kind of all practitioners, but we we really sort of, like, diabolists are, are one of the purest forms of that, and we're really sort of seeing it here. Yeah. Um, it makes me think, uh, Rose has obviously taken the option of calling out to Faisal here, hoping that Angels v. Demons is going to help out, um, and we'll see that uh, doesn't work out. But there is another option. They could they could do some diabolism here, right? Yeah, I, I wondered that too. Um, I sort of had that thought. I was like, well... At least Blake knows about Orneus. Yeah. Um. I, I. I. Yeah. Rose says she's got a page of major demons. Uh. Memorized. I think the issue with that though is she. She thinks at one point like you know. Oh, if Miss Lewis had called in bigger demons, um, there might have been something that owed Grandma a favor, and she yep. could bounce them back, and they'd be even worse. I kind of feel like that's going to be an option for the lawyers. Yeah. True. As well, like any demon that you send against the lawyers has a very high probability of being bounced right back at you yeah um which would be pretty bad yeah like like the only thing i can think of like rose thinks they need like a big ally i mean she just cut a deal with the abyss that's that's really the only thing i can think of that could save them is is trying to you know she's she's got one of the abyss's favorite toys inside of her she's yeah. got um a deal she just cut with it yeah um you know yeah, I, I know. I, I feel like targeting the Abyss as an ally seems like the best way to go. Yeah, interesting. Which is like, man, that's where we are now. <laughs> that's the situation we're in. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's probably, uh, like, <laughs> it's just things can't get better, right? Like, at the yeah. end of this chapter, it's such a bad situation. I don't know what... Well, we'll see. Um, so... Uh, at this point, Evan asks how Blake is doing, and that's kind of the trigger that uh, that brings Blake's awareness back to himself and out of Rose's consciousness. Um, and we see Blake is in really bad spot. Uh, Conquest Ooh. is basically holding Blake hostage and using him as a bludgeon to just kind of smash through, you know, elements of their soul. Yeah, it's brutal. Like, 
Blake is just getting absolutely annihilated on every level. I'd forgotten how terrible Conquest was to fight. Yeah. Because um, she's just, like, I think the thing is, she's just torturing Blake. She doesn't. She doesn't kill you. She she grinds you into submission. Yeah. Um. It's it, and it's like it's it's just awful to see. Like Blake is just getting absolutely brutalized. Um. There's that bit that, that's going to become relevant later where he realizes, or, or, or Conquest puts him in a position where he's able to realize that his memories of all his friends aren't even complete, and it's not that yeah. they were given to Rose. They were just discarded because they weren't useful <sighs> for the plans for for either half. Like yeah. That you know Rose Senior didn't want Blake too close to toronto yeah um so yeah like you know that obviously starts to lay the seeds i, I think of, of you know him thinking about losing his relationships with his friends mm. but it's also just fucking emotionally heartbreaking yeah it's it's rough um and actually this bit reminded me of do you remember it was like two arcs ago i think where blake did this exact same thing with evan just kind of held him and used him to smash through like enchantments <laughs> It's a bit of yeah. a retribution, karmic retribution. <laughs> yeah, well, and and in in you know good packed form, it's a punishment that seems way harsher than the crime. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of uh, opportunities for self reflection, Blake has this moment where he sees uh, where he sees what he was like in uh, during the uh, the endless night, um, where he was basically going around murdering Duchamp husbands, uh, and he. It's interesting. He doesn't he doesn't comment on it too much, but he does notice that he seems unrecognizable to himself. Like he was a full on monster compared to you know the human Blake that seems to be kind of all that's left. It's something. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't dwell on it too much, but at least at least we get that little bit of recognition where he's like, hey, that wasn't good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess that's the bare minimum that Blake can display. Yeah, I think that's all we're going to get out of Blake. I think it's the bare minimum, and it's also Blake's personal maximum. Yeah. So, um, you know, it is, and, and it's good. I think, I definitely think a lot of people just sort of chewing through the story, I, I would, I, like, I could see myself making the mistake of not fully appreciating how much Blake was being altered, because mm. it was something Blake wasn't aware of. It was something the story was not overly kind of... Yeah explicit about yeah it didn't comment um, on it that much because blake never thought about it yeah exactly and so i think i i think this is just like an extra little reminder for for you know people who might have been rushing through and, and could have easily missed something like that that just just you know that wasn't blake it was abyss blake yeah yeah um so things keep getting worse which i guess is the the plot of this whole story but this chapter in particular um the group has run out of bullets and so mrs lewis sits up and you know dusts herself off and finishes uh summoning um and she doesn't just summon one thing she summons five uh demons five moats uh and these demons begin to circle the group's tentative warding and uh start talking about all the horrifying ways that they're gonna torture and abuse our protagonists yeah, I mean, these moats are kind of, uh, you know, as you would expect, obligatorily uh, terrifying, gross. <laughs> They're pretty gross, aren't they? Yeah, um, like, just from, from their looks to their actions. Yeah. Um, I, like, I love how just incorrectly built they all are. Like, they, you know, the, the demons seem to, oh, I think Rose says they draw their imagery from you know, the world, like, yeah. you know, as, as everything does impact, but like they, they, 
seem to intentionally or, or you know as a consequence of what they are it, it's built wrong yeah like and, and that's something that's been consistent i mean something that you know if you go right all the way back to pa'u's something that has been set up for moats in particular is they've got these weird ass baby features yes like they, they all look like i i mean it you know it's this demonic twist on the concept of reproduction it makes me wonder <laughs> if if moats changed to be like that as humans took over or were moats something that demons only started doing as humans took over or, or, or you know like, like there's there's some interesting stuff you could explore there but um it, it we're just thinking right back to pose i was just sort of marveling at how much of a grip on all this stuff Wilbo must have had when he was writing you know yeah. the first four arcs of the story yeah definitely um yeah on the topic of them looking like babies rose thinks about how demons kind of take form based on human fears right and so I assume <laughs> the baby thing is just another way of making them freakier. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's 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 probably like a, a classic pact: two birds with one stone yeah. situation. Yeah. Uh, you, it makes them creepy as fuck, but it also like is is appropriate imagery to draw from. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, the the uh, Mrs. Lewis basically summons a bunch of demons and. Everyone starts uh, uh, freaking out a bit. But there's this one <laughs> bit where Tiffany freaks out a little as I think it's the fifth demon that's summoned. And I don't know what it is, but Tiffany freaking out really just drives home to me like, oh shit, things are getting real bad. It's not even that unusual because obviously Tiffany used to freak out a lot when we were back in Toronto. And I guess she's calmed down a bit since then, but it really just hits home her kind of quiet horror that, that things are going bad. Yeah, I think there's a there's a probably a few reasons because i I had a similar experience like i think tiff is sort of the defensive one and yeah this this sort of her freaking out takes place right after rose and alistair kind of comment on how you know the diagram is far from complete it's gonna (laughs) it's gonna stop three to four of the choirs and uh miss lewis has just pulled out her fifth uh moat yeah so you know assuming miss lewis is sensible they're they're fucked um so yeah, like I think I think it's sort of that whole thing, and just having you know the sort of defensive person on the team just sort of be like, oh god, our defenses are shit, uh, makes that hit home. Yeah, yeah, true. The fact that they're basically guaranteed to be fucked, I guess. Yeah. Um. So at this point, uh, Rose tells Evan and a few other people that they should leave while they can. Um. If they can, they should leave. Uh, and Evan refuses. He refuses because of Blake. And Blake kind of draws strength from this refusal and from kind of his happy memories and the fact that his friends are here. And using this kind of power, he is able to start to fight back against Conquest. Yeah, Evan saves the day again. Tick on the counter, <laughs> it's probably at around 45,000. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's quite high. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so we start to see Blake unlocking some of the, the spirit power that... that Uh, conquest was a bit wary of um which presumably is the experiences and memories of of his allies that he can kind of draw on for strength yeah yeah um i mean like it just feels so packed the way it's rose uses the conquest influence on evan and evan rejects it because his bond with blake is too strong and that empowers blake like it's that you know the the real world paralleling what what's going on inside of, of rose's spirit yeah definitely um wait yeah it helped like seeing his connection to evan be so strong makes him realize he's strong again uh it's just so good 
Um, I also love how as Blake's getting away, he notes that he's able to imagine that he has wings here. And he's like, oh, that's weird. I only had wings for a night, but I'm more attached to them than my arms. Yeah. Um, but that's so not weird, right? Like, <laughs> no, it's like, very like, Blake. Yeah, I was just like, well, of course you, you have wings, Blake. Like, in spirit, like, for one of a better term, you, you've had wings the whole time we've known you. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, so Blake kind of makes some space for himself to get away from Conquest and tries to help Rose come up with an idea. But, of course, he can't speak. So the only way he can really communicate with her is by shoving uh, memories into her consciousness, I guess. Um, so he, he kind of signals to her that she needs to rely on her friends for help. And so he takes all of his memories of Alexis, Tiff, Ty, all of his friends, except Green Eyes and Evan, and he kind of pushes them into Rose's brain. Um, and she's just kind of overwhelmed by the emotion of friendship and kind of realizes that she needs other people's help. I mean, this is just so tragic, like watching Blake throw away what has been his anchor for for so long. Like his friends (laughs) have really defined his actions more than anything else in this whole story and he's sort of doing this to save them obviously but he you know he's out of body to give up and and so he's he's literally giving up parts of himself yeah Um, Uh, uh, like he he just was you know the memories of his friends was the thing that just gave him strength to escape conquest right so it's very clearly literally saying to us Blake, you are giving up the thing that is giving you some measure of power in in your current state. (laughs) And so it's clearly a Blake is sacrificing more of himself to help the the group. Like it it is an extension of his self-sacrificing nature. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's made all the more tragic by the revelation earlier in the chapter that half of those memories were gone already. Yeah. And and so like there's kind of two ways you can respond to something like that, which is like, you know, oh, it's already ruined. Um, or you know, you can view the half that he's got as even more precious. And I feel like that's probably where Blake would land anyway. Yes, but he, definitely. He also knows that he sort of has to give them up here. Yeah. Yeah, and he does. Um it it's interesting. So it it's uncertain whether these memories that he's pushing into Rose are being given up from his perspective for good or whether it's kind of him loaning his power to Rose in the same way Conquest has been doing. And I'm interested to see or to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I guess my understanding from what happened is, you know, he he transferred them across the fracture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so they're sort of over there now, presumably Rose could send them back if she wanted to, or maybe Blake could steal them. But I think one thing he notes is that like a third of them fell by the wayside. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like a free, you know, there's, there's, there's a bank transfer fee, uh, international currency <laughs> fee. Yeah. The uh, transfer when, when fee takes off a third. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think this is something they can do from the looks of it. Uh, but it's pretty fucking costly. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so you know, give, I guess I guess we've got an arc for Blake to realize he can just shove like his whole self away. <laughs> he's he's just going to continue to give up more and more bits of himself, right? Like that's the trajectory of this story. I mean, yeah, like like it seems it seems to be. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like it's it's going to be interesting to see where slash what Blake ends up as mm. um, by the end of the story. Yeah, because because um, this feels like something. If he's in here much longer, this is like a. And it's like his sympathetic magic, right? Like this is something he's going to try and do more and more. And that, that you know, that cost him more at the start than it did later on. Like he, yeah. the, the way this universe works, the more you do something, the less it seems to cost you. So hopefully that's still a thing. And <laughs> if he continues to do this, it won't be costing him as much in the future. I hope not. 
Um, so yeah, Rose gains the power of friendship and starts calling out to Faisal again, and everyone else kind of starts calling out to all of her friends. Um, and it works. Faisal appears, uh, but uh, he's no ally, obviously. Um, he, he basically tells Mrs. Lewis, oh yeah, these guys are annoying. Do you want help to deal with them? And it's kind of like, oh wait, yeah, Faisal is an enemy. Why did we, <laughs> why did we think this would help? Um... Yeah. So for starters, I just quickly want to touch on again, like we talked about how heartbreaking it is that Blake is giving up all of his memories of his friends. Um, but the the reason that this hurts so much as well is because it also shatters Rose. Yeah. Like, you know, she's in the middle of this very tense fight. Like, you know, she, there's a lot going on. And then Blake just kind of dumps the ability to have love and friendship on her. And like, you know, we've seen how much it hurts Blake when he sees these concepts that yeah. he just doesn't really have anymore. And, like, this must have been absolutely just shattering for Rose to be in the middle of this fight and then suddenly, you know, just get flooded with what you're missing, I think, is how she phrases it. Yeah, um, because... It, like, it it hits her really hard. She basically starts crying as she gathers everyone up to, to call for Faisal because it's just... Like, yeah, I mean, you know, this, there's no winners in this situation, except I guess they're still alive. So that, that's a kind of win. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes her feel like she's, like it ups the stakes to her, right? It ups the stakes to Rose. It makes her feel like she is failing. It makes her feel like she can't, like it's insurmountable. And that's what causes her to kind of break a bit more and, and try and call for Faisal again, is because there's just nothing left to do. And so it is kind of a heartbreaking strategy where Blake basically has just done to Rose. He's basically just said to Rose, hey, it's even worse than you think because you actually care about all these people that are going to be horribly tortured. So fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it, it's again, it, like her being hit with this is sort of, in my my understanding, it's not the, just that she gets those feelings, but she's conscious enough of the understanding that like this is something she didn't have yeah so it's kind of you know it, it it's it's yeah it's just on multiple levels yeah it's on, a real on all the levels it um it's just brutal yeah um so yeah i think when rose first started calling out to Faisal earlier in this chapter i definitely had the reaction of like oh this is cool like Faisal's an angel and these guys are demons so he he might be able to help out like maybe he'll be you know against team demon but of course, that's just us kind of ascribing labels and motivations to angels. Like, it's it's a very clear demonstration to me of, of why labels can be so dangerous. Because, of course, when Faisal gets here, he's it's not just angels v. demons. It's, it's Faisal is this being that has his own kind of uh, unknowable motivations. And in this situation, that means that he's on Team Demon. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and this is something, like, I, I think the story has talked about since, like, one or two, like, the, the whole danger with labelling stuff. Yeah. Because I guess if you think about it, this is a world that, you know, isn't scientific, and, uh, you know, really it's humans that have gone around and, and categorised everything. I'd have to go back to Faisal's interlude, but, like, I, you know, I wonder if things like the choirs and stuff were as distinct before humanity or whether it was just sort of there were general patterns and humans have kind of latched onto them and tried to, like, you know, I, I'm just thinking because it's, it's like this in real biology, like whenever biologists try to form like trees of life and draw hard lines between, you know, this is this type of creature and this is this, inevitably you find some wacky animal that like fits yeah. both. Like, you know, oh, mammals can't lay eggs. Well, and then you come to Australia and there's a bunch of yeah. mammals that lay eggs. Like, yeah. there's always some shit that, that fiddles with your ability to classify. And, like, 
you know that that's that's probably what's going on in this universe is is a lot of the new things maybe do just fit the categories but some of the older stuff is is a bit all over the place and and the concept of angels and demons being completely opposite is probably part of that well yeah presumably the more day-to-day stuff does fit the labels quite well but as things get weirder and more fringe it you know it, it defies it yeah and i mean that's kind of like that's the seventh choir's whole deal right yeah yeah um, so um, yeah, like, I, I, so I, I think I think did I mention it in the last episode or was it in my live read? Like I've always kind of assumed the the lawyers are seventh choir or, mm. or run or managed or were started by seventh choir demons. Like yeah. it just feels like that sort of phasal equivalent, you know, play to to sort of create um, something clever like the lawyers. It's it's a very subtle way of spreading demonic influence. Yeah, no, I think you mentioned uh, briefly last episode but yeah i definitely like that theory it's it quite nicely fits together um but that's the end of possession 15.6 things have gotten worse um (laughs) (laughs) and the one idea that rose had has made things worse so um yeah we'll see how things go next chapter i suppose um yeah it's uh (laughs) it's really just insurmountable right yeah well it's gone from insurmountable to even more insurmountable yeah. with the thing of it. Like, and that's the thing. I I can't think of anything apart from the abyss that could maybe help out now. Yeah. Um, I think I think they're just gonna, are they just going to have to dive back in? Yeah, that'd um, be fun. Back to the library. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we, we changed our minds. This is better. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is, right? Yeah, it is. I don't <laughs> that's know. That's the sad truth. Um, when you're in a diagram surrounded by moats, the abyss might actually be better. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> before we wrap up this episode, we wanted to uh, review some of the answers that have been left to our discussion question that we have been running for a week or so. Um, and that discussion question was, is Johannes' domain okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think, did we rephrase it to a good idea? I can't remember. A- either way, it was basically just debate the morals of Johannes' uh, domain and, and that whole system. Yeah. Um, um and I think one of the most comprehensive answers we got was from Sahibum7, uh, a regular in the discussion thread. So thank you, Sahibum. Um, and they bring up two points uh, that, that mean that they think it's not okay. Um, and let's talk about these because I think they're both the core points that, that this morality debate kind of revolves around. And I think there's uh, like, interesting uh, things to talk yeah, about well, in them. I think what's interesting is looking at your notes, we... We disagree on both points, mm. <laughs> which is fun. Yes. Uh, so the first point is the assumption that vestiges aren't sentient. Uh, so Sahibimum disagrees with this. Sahibimum thinks that the, the mouse kids that we've seen uh, in Johannes's domain are sentient enough that it's not okay to be, you know, using them as fodder for your theme park. Um, yeah. And I, we don't really have a good metric for how sentient they are, right? Because... Uh, the the other potential things we've seen as vestiges, Evan and and Blake or Rose, have both been confirmed to be something much more. Um, and so, uh, sentience wise, I kind of put vestiges, although we don't really know. I kind of put them about equal to something like June. That feels about where they're at. Um, yeah, I I I'd maybe say a oh actually early June. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean that that's the thing about sentience in Pact is it's not even a spectrum. It's like this multi-dimensional 
sort of grid because yeah. you can have different aspects like we've seen others that have some sorts of emotions or ability to you know comprehend stuff like it's it's not just a spectrum that there's multiple layers and so we don't quite know enough you know i'd maybe even want to go back and reread signature to to try and learn more about exactly where they were at but yeah I, you're right i got the impression that they were you know, not not fully like humans because they're only a fraction. I mean, the difference like Blake and Rose are kind of vestiges, but cut straight down the middle to the point where one of them can yeah. pretend that they're human. Uh, whereas these are like you know, a couple of percent of the human uh, nicked off the top. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, it, like what what exactly does that mean for sentience? It, it's hard to quantify. I would argue based on the way Maggie interacted them with with them in Signature that they they seem sentient enough to me that. It, the whole thing skeeves me out a bit. Yep. No, I agree with that as well. Um, and the second point that Cyberman makes is uh, vestiges are being made of, well, I don't know the word for it, muggles, I guess, without their consent. Um, so the muggles are being made, as we know, they're, they're being made more prone to illnesses, being kind of generally weaker and more sluggish. Um, and obviously this is bad. It's bad to do this to somebody without them knowing about <laughs> it. Uh <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I do agree with both of these points. Um, but the thing is, these are kind of skeevy costs, but I am i don't know if they're bad enough to outweigh the benefits here, right? Like, Johannes's Domain is obviously a trade-off. It's a pilot program for a new thing where, you know, others don't feast on the actual humans outside of the domain. Mm-hmm. They, they get to feast on these vestiges instead, right? And I, I kind of see it as a bit like an insurance policy, right? Um, the, the humans, the muggles, are paying off a bit of their energy to make it less likely that they'll be actually brutally murdered by some other creature. And Yeah. Like, I'd also, I think another analogy you could use is it's kind of like a... Rev- like a universal basic income type yeah. structure for for yeah yeah like the torturings of others like everyone <laughs> pays this this same amount yes and um then then the whole idea is that you know nobody gets blaked basically yes exactly it, it kind of spreads out the pain across an entire population rather than just the unfortunate souls that get hunted down by a goblin or a djinn or whatever yeah yeah um uh, yeah as you sort of touched on like the lack of consent makes it just feel a little bit ickier yes um I, the thing to keep in mind though is how do you get some somebody a muggle to consent to this right because yeah, the only way to do to... that is initiating them and then that's yes. even worse surely <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah because exactly that's the thing like the whole lack of consent initially led me down the line of thinking of like well this is how like totalitarian yeah. government starts is johanna's making this decision for everyone but yeah, something that doesn't exist in the real world that he has to lean on here is is the argument that getting them to the point where they can consent to this is in many ways much worse. Yes, is worse um, than having their unknowing consent. You know. Yeah, like like it's it's such a fun mess because like I, I think on paper this whole idea of like universal basic suffrage, <laughs> or no, universal suffering. basic suffering, yeah, um, is is fine, uh, but like i do yeah it's just ideally you want the consent but like i think that's the bit where i start to get really flip-floppy like every time i think oh i'm like oh but you kind of need it oh but like it but you it can't worse. get it yeah <laughs> I, I, I it i feel like i've come down on the side where yes it's skeevy but johannes is basically doing the best possible avenue of this that exists with all the weird constraints of the pact verse 
Yeah, 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 probably. I mean, what's interesting is like you know when whenever we do these sorts of like the like the bonus bit we did last chapter on spiritual possession. Yeah, and you see that like in you know in mod in, in modern Western culture or, or whatever, like as things have gotten more science based, we've left a lot of um you know superstition and stuff behind yeah but those things used to be more common so like were those people like you know if you go back to like an ancient tribe that believes in spiritual possession did those did everyone there count as initiated were they much more vulnerable yeah, to others because of it um like is there a way to you know see a superstition like this in a way that doesn't quite count as initiating people but you know lots of things like oh yeah i get sick a lot but it's because i'm you know paying tax to the spirits yeah. so they don't make things worse and if you if you could somehow see that superstition what's well, because it's not a superstition in the pact verse it's actually just true yes um and and you know if you can do that in a way that doesn't count as initiating them maybe that's the way you can try and go about it well your comparison to the to the universal basic income gives me another idea where you just kind of assess whether somebody believes in you know for example paying tax for uh for uh like public run healthcare, right an example that's relatively similar to this and if they do believe in that it stands to reason that if they knew about this they would consent <laughs> to it you know and then kind of take that as like a a kind of analogy of consent <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can you can try and better approximate whether they would give consent, which I guess is something. Yeah. Um, so Haberman thinks about uh, whether Johannes could have recruited more practitioners, and so they're already in the know, and then they can opt in to, to giving their consent, which which is another solution. But I think I think it 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 just would be doomed to fail, right? One, practitioners are a lot less common than uh, muggles, and two, practitioners are a lot more cautious of things like this right like johannes is already a bit of a creepy motherfucker so if i was a practitioner he came up to me and said hey give me some of your power and i'll and we're doing this thing like i don't know i i think he would have a hard time finding allies for that i feel like it would be destined to fail yeah i can't help but agree i i can't really see many people signing up um although in saying that oh actually no you know what he did try he was he was he had pretty good outreach um in general actually um i i guess like i think the thing is is in general like you in some of these metaphors you view view practitioners as the already wealthy the people with more power than everyone yeah, else who true. kind of have more, more to lose by signing on to something like this um uh, which is which is part of why it was sort of never going to work mm. yeah and i guess the answer is yes they could pay in more power and that would be a better solution but they're, it's the same thing that we face in today's society where yeah. they're greedy right like practitioners are inherently greedy yeah the 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 ones with the power it, it defines them more and it's harder for them to give it up yeah yeah um yeah yeah and uh, johannes did do things like reaching out to a bunch of people and making them quite good deals right um yeah and obviously that didn't work for other reasons, uh, Faisal <laughs> being the main one, I think. But I don't know. It, like, maybe that that would have been a good middle ground there. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, so we also got an answer from uh, David L. Hunt, uh, who kind of accepts that this is a very wild style moral dilemma. And even if an answer does exist, it would be too hard to find it. So let's put that aside for a second, <laughs> which I think is a fair response. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's a huge part of why I enjoy all, all these stories so yeah. much is because Wabo manages to concoct these situations where it doesn't feel like there's a right answer. Yeah, is it okay to... Well, I won't say that. That's a worm spoiler, but there's a lot of stuff like that in these stories. <laughs> um, so what David L. Hunt does talk about is a kind of interesting side question here, which is what happens with the domain now that Johannes is dead? D- mm. Does that just mean that all the powerful others that were there are basically now just kind of open season on the unsuspecting town. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right. Johannes, from memory in, in the Faisal interlude, set it up so that it would he, he would cede um, ownership when when he died. Yeah. Um, so presumably it's, it's deteriorating or, uh, like, sinking into the abyss or, or something. Um, and you're right, like, that, that's kind of a unique thing, like, aside from the greater morality of, um, Johannes's domain, this is an implementation error, yeah. uh, where he has, he's kind of left himself without a successor, and probably left this place in a position to just get completely fucked over, like, yeah. I, I would expect it, if it is sinking into the abyss or something, um, all the big others are kind of escaping, and now they're just on the prowl. Yeah, again, exactly. Which is they're all arguably, centralized, arguably back to status quo. Yeah. Um, technically, so yeah, maybe it's bit, not worse. I mean, I maybe a bit more concentrated in the short term, but you know, then again, the rest of the town's already sinking into the abyss as well. So the others probably aren't going there right now either. Like, um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I wait. Like, I don't even know if we'll get to see that. We're a little busy with other things. I don't know what's going to be happening with Johannes' domain. Yeah, it, it is just, at worst, taking things back to the status quo, right? So I guess it's fine. I think... Hopefully. When things were better, this was probably a bit of a contingency plan for Johannes, right? Like, similar to how the Thorburns have Barbatorum, and if you kill the Thorburns, you unleash Barbatorum. I'm sure Johannes had, had uh, set up something yeah. like that, where it's like, hey, if I die bunch of big others you're gonna have to deal with and it's not worth your time so just let it be yeah yeah um but like i mean that's the domain was always tied to his life like from memory in uh in that ritual he sort of said he had no plans to have heirs and so it would go on his death which kind of means unless he had plans to make himself immortal which given the amount of power he had access to at the time maybe not out of reach um this was always something that was going to happen like if, if it worked it would kind of and, and he was still going to die then it turns into a bit of wait what now yeah yeah um so that's that takes us to the end of our discussion question elliot and so what's the answer yes or no is johannes's domain okay so that's all we have time for in this episode oh, boo. <laughs> what's the point of a discussion question if we don't get an answer i'm gonna say yes it's good it was a good idea, Johannes, and you're a hero. Yeah, I'm going to kind of begrudgingly side with it. I, I feel like there's some issues, but um, this is packed. You're going to have to make yeah. moral compromises yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it's V1 and... as well. Like, come on. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I think it's definitely an idea worth exploring. Yeah. Um, yeah, but thanks for uh, those of you who left your answers uh, to our discussion question in the discussion thread. If you want a new discussion question, well, here's one we prepared earlier. Um, <laughs> we, we really want to talk more about demons because they're the thing that we're up against this chapter. Um, so we, we thought it might be cool for people to find demons that they, uh, or, or just evil spirits, I guess, more generally, that they liked and uh, talk about them th- from a packed lens. So the question, the official wording here is, pick a demon or evil spirit from any folklore and explain what it might do in Pact and which choir it might belong to. 
So uh, get your best demons ready and let's uh, discuss them in a week. Yeah, yeah. So just, you know, any any evil spirits or anything that um, have shown up in, in any mythologies that you like and you think might be a demon impact, talk about how you think they might manifest in the story. Um, you know, we've we've talked about, what was that, Pokedex of, of Solomon demons? That's, that could yeah, be a good place like to start. like the Key of Solomon, I think. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, so... There's tons, there's tons of places you could probably go digging if you don't have any ideas, but uh, I, hopefully this is just a fun little uh, world-building exercise for everyone. Yeah, cool. Um, if you want to leave your thoughts on that discussion question or just this show or 15.6 in general, the place to do that is our discussion thread, which will be linked down below in our description. Yeah, and um, have you heard about Kingslingers? If you haven't, w- <gasps> no. welcome welcome to the show. Uh, it's it's the new it's the new hot fuzz on... on uh, on doofmedia.com. Yep. Uh, it's it's Matt and Scott diving into the Dark Tower book series, um, starting with The Gunslinger is the first one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's just getting started, so now's the time to jump in. Yeah, the first episode has been released, so now I can finally go and read chapter two of The Gunslinger <laughs> and see what happens <laughs> next. Um, it, f- important note is that Kingslingers only exists because uh, we were backed by patrons and patrons requested this show. Um, so thanks to our patrons. And if you want to become a Doof patron and help us make more cool stuff, go to patreon.com forward slash Doof Media. Yeah, there's a bunch of different tiers on there. Uh, so for example, the $10 tier gets you access to everything in the lower tiers as well as uh, special bonus content that, yep. that all of us do uh, each month. So I actually just released mine for this month, uh, which is... Um, you know, a, a work in progress. Uh, my sisters and I have been have been streaming some video games together, and we're looking at editing those and formalizing it a bit more. And um, so I put that sort of up on Doof to get feedback from our ten dollar and above patrons. Yeah, a lot of our, uh, our community has been talking about doing more games focused stuff for a while. You know, we do some Doof plays every once in a while, but if you want to see some more games related content, uh, jump on the Patreon and, and support us, and you get some cool games bonus content from Elliot. So that's good. Yeah, it's definitely where at the moment I think a lot of our more experimental stuff starts. Yes. Um so if you if you if you really looking to have your say in what Doof does next, it's definitely one of the best ways to do that, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. Um if you want to support Wildbo, which you should, because he has made a whole bunch of stuff uh, that that is great. Like Worm, <laughs> like Pact, uh, like Twig and Ward and who knows what else, we'll see. Um if you want to support Wabo, he also has a Patreon. So go to patreon.com forward slash Wabo and throw him some recurring income. Yep. And so apart from that, we'll see everyone on Wednesday because it's a bonus chapter mm-hmm. week. Uh, the 22nd of January for position 15.7. See you then. Mm-hmm.